0: Hi, this is Steve Bowes, and you are listening to Radical Research, a new conversation in HCM research with host Madeline Lerano on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. This episode on the HR Happy Hour Network is made possible by Work Human, helping businesses energize cultures, drive performance, and unite workforces by creating human moments that matter. Visit www.workhuman.com. And remember to subscribe to Radical Research and all the HR Happy Hour Network shows wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Radical Research, part of the HR Happy Hour podcast series. I am your host, Madeline Lerano. I'm the founder of Aptitude Research, a research and advisory firm. And I'm thrilled to be here and joined by one of my favorite people in this industry, Jeanette Leeds Maester, who is the head of America's at Olio. And she's a talent executive extraordinaire. She's worked at many companies, many companies we've all heard of in this space. Um, welcome, Jeanette. I'm so excited that you're here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. We always, it's so nice to like, I wish we could be in person, but you know, this is this is awesome.
1: Well, it's funny because I always think of you at this time of year because not long ago, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, but you stopped at my house around this time on your way back from Maine, and we were hanging out, talking about work, talking about the rebrand of Oleo. We our kids were at camp, and it was a very, very different time, <laughs> just a few years ago.
0: <laughs> That's right. I think that was two years ago, because we just, it's funny, you think about, like, the history. It, c- it came up on my Facebook feed. Your me- my memory is from two years ago, and it was the rebrand of Oleo, and it was, exactly, and here we are where it's, A different world, no camp, and figuring out the summer for children and, well, grownups as well.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So speaking of all this change, I know you've been a talent acquisition leader, and now obviously you're leading operations at at a, a major provider in our space. What are you seeing with how companies are transforming the TA function today, and how are they responding to COVID, the uncertainty in the world? You know, what are you seeing from customers?
0: Oh yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and I mean the, the amount of change that I've seen, and again, really all of us have seen in the past few months has really been been incredible. I mean, just you know, huge changes, recruiting, moving everything virtual, you know, especially around events. So um, whether it's career fairs or you know big interview days, everything's had to had to go virtual. And really, all the recruiting teams figuring out how to do that while they've become remote as well. Um, So that's, I mean, that's been a big, big change of everyone trying to figure that out. And at the same time, you know, what I've seen talking to a lot of our customers is, you know, they need to continue to nurture their candidates, in particular, if they're in an industry that, you know, stopped hiring. Um, obviously that we have some customers where the opposite happened and, you know, you know, some of the, the, you know, retail space and, you know, um, things of that, uh, groceries of of that nature that, you know, they were trying to like drink water from a fire hose to bring on more and more staff. Um, but in terms of that candidate nurturing, it was like, okay, how can I protect our future pipeline knowing that things are going to recover? Because it's, it's, you know, it's a matter of time, you know, many people in the space have been around doing talent acquisition um, through, uh, you know, crazy times as well. I was talking to um, a few talent acquisition leaders, a few, a few like I, I don't know, maybe it was three weeks ago, we were talking about in 2008, um, where at the time I was at Lehman Brothers where you know, they were no more, a number of us were, you know, working in talent acquisition um, How to go through that, you know, change, and then even you know, a number of years back was September 11th, and that mm-hmm. whole time period. And so, you know, seeing over the years the you know the highs and lows in recruiting, and you know, things will come back. Um, it's precarious now, but you know, there there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. And so, nurturing those candidates for when that time comes is so critical. So that that's you know, a lot of the. Change that I've seen over the past couple of months, and focus in those areas, and then of course yeah. reduce recruiting teams or furloughs and whatnot, and handling that, um, which goes without saying. The nurturing talent is so interesting to me
1: because you know you talk about the change from right after nine eleven and then two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I feel like a lot of companies push pause on that, right? Like the candidate experience. Wasn't necessarily the top priority anymore. Um, not that it probably even was in two thousand one, but you know, companies were just kind of in crisis mode, not necessarily thinking about how do we still nurture this talent for when we do hire again and, and hit these hiring surges again. Um, and I and and you talk about it as being a priority today, and I've seen that too. I think that talent acquisition is more sophisticated. I think talent talent acquisition leaders are more strategic, and the candidate experience and nurturing talent for the future is is still a, a top priority and that's that's been pretty amazing to see because it's really different
0: absolutely and I think the other piece that I, I do want to mention because I've seen a change from the beginning of when you know we all went into lockdown and in, in March was at the start of all of this you know there was a lot of concerns that it, unemployment everything would and recruiting it would take away a lot of the strides we had made in diversity and inclusion um, in terms of, you know, unemployment rate, you know, higher for women and people of color. I think that was in Harvard Business Review or whatnot. Um, But with, you know, more recently with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, that's put that entire piece much more, you know, front and center again, which is so critical and yeah. it's, it's so critical for, to companies to, to figure this out as a main priority. And, and ultimately that really starts with the recruiting, um, because that's where you can really make a difference in ensuring that, you know, you, you have the right, you know, you attract the candidates, you bring the, those candidates in um, and ensuring, you know, in, a fair and unbiased process. Um, and that's yeah. where we really help them with the needle. So I, I felt like we got, we have to mention that, that as well. That's been a big, big piece that's gone on
1: Yeah and I I heard Torin Ellis speak recently and he said something I think is so important um, for for TA leaders which is um, don't get rid of those roles on your TA function the diversity and inclusion this is when you invest in them this is when you invest in technology to support those efforts this is the time Um, and that you know again I think during past recessions we've seen talent acquisition functions get leaner and get rid of kind of these certain really important areas um, diversity inclusion candidate experience and that's not the time to do it now. Um, this is the time to to make those investments and absolutely. And absolutely. we're seeing companies do that, so yeah, which is great. Nurturing. So awesome. So a lot of what we're talking about with the candidate experience, nurturing talent, remote recruiting, diversity and inclusion, a lot of this lends itself to a big topic in talent acquisition, which is automation. And we did some research together on recruiting enablement, which to me is really really interesting because it's thinking about sales enablement which is giving your sales and marketing team all the tools they need to be successful and to capture those leads and taking those same principles and applying it to recruiting and say how do we give talent acquisition all the tools they need to be successful so i know that's a big priority for you at olio and i'm hoping you can maybe share a little bit about your approach and how you're working with companies to ensure this this recruiting enablement
0: absolutely and i mean it is recruiting enablement is so Key. and I think um, you know we we found in the research that you know, organizations that you know have recruiting enablement are you know way more effective and efficient. And I forget the stat off the top of my head. Um, so ha- someone will have to download the paper to, to get that, How's <laughs> that for a plug. Yeah, uh, but perfect. but it's you know it's it's really it's 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 all about the data and automation, which ultimately is about efficiency and effectiveness. Um, and so I, I think you know what's what's really interesting is that at just as we're talking also about diversity and inclusion it's you know you can absolutely automate automate that um, to really to achieve the diversity and inclusion goals and like we think about you know I think about think candidate engagement you know you can create the right content and deliver that content at the right time in the recruiting process to candidates based on you know a variety of of you know factors um i think a great example i, I have um, that one of our customers has done which i feel like brings it to light um around recruiting enablement is um, i think a really relevant one um it's not a u.s example but it's the metropolitan police over in london which they're the equivalent of like new york like nypd so like big huge police force um and we worked with them I think it was last year, um, to really have them use data-driven insights to identify what was going on in their process. Um, and what they found was they had this huge dramatic drop-off for female candidates when they got to one of their you know, assessment stages. And they, I think it was their, like the physical like, assessment test that they have everyone do when you want to become you know, a, a part of the force. Um, And what they found, and this is really interesting just around content, is that they found that all the content they were showing the candidates, it was all male all like all men. Um, And you could imagine if you're seeing content and it was all men and you're a female, um, you know, I know how I would feel. I'd feel, hmm, they're they're not interested in hiring me. I'm not even going to apply. I'm not even going to try, you know. So just a lot of people opting out. And so what, what um, the Met Police did was they completely redesigned the content at, the, at that stage. Um, but what they also did was they ensured when those candidates would apply that automatically they were seeing great content um, that matched people's interests or backgrounds. Like they completely auto- automated it. Um, and so that's the piece where it was like, let's look at data. Let's figure out what's the you know what's the issue. How can we fix it? And then how can we automate it where like ultimately we can deliver this out um, in a way that's super efficient? And so their results were really amazing. Um, they increased the number of of, of women by 40% wow. at that stage like passing, which is just, I mean, you talk about what I, I love data, that is statistically significant. Right. Um, and so you know, if you think about re- replicating that across you know other organizations. I mean, that, that's what we live for at Olio. <laughs> it's just like, right. let's, let's really make things, you know, better for, for organizations in, in, in that area. So. And it's the data, right? That's the key. Yeah. It's you're able to
1: show, because you can provide those insights and because you can provide the data, they're able to pinpoint where the problem is. And exactly. then make changes that don't require necessarily, I mean, I imagine it didn't take them two years to change the content.
0: Exactly. It was like a few months. It wasn't, you know, it was, they went out and they did like really good content. It wasn't like a quick, like, although now I feel like everyone's creating content super quickly and it's yeah. really good content as well. So it's interesting just the speed of content creation. I mean, that's another change that's happened in the past few months, but right. um, it was fast. So you can really make big changes quickly. Um, but you have to know where to make those changes to have the highest impact.
1: Yeah, and, and be open to, to seeing what that data says. And, yes, you know, just,
0: yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: So it's interesting. I mean, if you think about just sales enablement as a similar strategy for sales and marketing teams, and it's so widely adopted, right? Every every company, you know, with with just even a couple hundred employees and more, they have some type of sales enablement strategy and and tools in place. Um, And recruiting enablement is definitely taking off and companies that do it are seeing tremendous results. I mean, anyone that wants to read this research report will be able to see that. Um, But what challenges do you see with companies that either aren't able to take that next step or have some hesitancy towards thinking about automation or, or enablement?
0: Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. And listen, like, the first thing is change can be scary, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So that's like the first thing. Anything new, sometimes, depending on the culture of the organization, um, that's you know that's always a scary thing. Um, but I, I think the one interesting thing is again, the past few months have shown us is that you know how resilient organizations can be with change. So you know, for me, building that buy-in is key to that change. And I'm always about the data and metrics have been for years. That's what we like focus on at Olio. So to me, it's looking you know, to help with that challenge and getting people over that fear of change is show where those improvements will be, whether it's an efficiency, like a time play, or is it an actual spend from a, a dollar you know amount. And so you can have that, that helps to get people over over the hump. Um, and to me, the other piece that I think is really um, is really critical is building in the automation right into the process um, where the recruiter is, because I like, I, I started out my career as a campus recruiter, many, many years ago, and I know, like, everyone is so busy, the recruiters are busy, you know, it's just like drinking water from a fire hose at all times, no matter what's happening, and so if a recruiter has to go and go to different places or different areas, like, online to make something happen, the harder it is for them to do that, like, they're not going to do it, so it's, to me, it's really important to embed um, that automation of whatever that process is, right into where they spend their time. Um, That that to me is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, And and that would be like the biggest takeaway. Anyone who's like ready, okay, I'm ready to start automating some stuff. Make sure you're doing it within that it doesn't require your team to go somewhere else. And do, you know, you think of like number of clicks or like that is my biggest, biggest piece of advice. Build automation into the process. Well,
1: especially right now, right? There's so many companies. I mean, you talk about remote recruiting when we started the this you know topic, and companies are rethinking all of their their processes right now and rebuilding them in many cases. This is the opportunity to work automation into that now. I think so. So often, to your point, it happens at the end, right? We we yeah, set out new strategies and work on you know our processes and then invest in technology and okay, how do we make automation work with what we've already. Thought through, um, we need to we need to do it together.
0: Absolutely, and I always think like a good example. Like I always just to bring it to life is um, think about um, you know recruiters. If if you know, there's a lot of discussion around job descriptions, for for example. Um, and, you know, you want to, you know, organizations that have gender neutral job descriptions, you know, candidates are more likely women as an example, you said are more likely to apply if it's more gender neutral versus, um, you know, certain words that may be more masculine might be a turnoff and whatnot. And so one of the things we've rolled out in our system is doing it, but we did this native within our system, again, to the point of like, you know, don't make a recruiter go into a million different areas is, you know, Job descriptions there, right in the right in the system. Recruiter can click. Um, you know, data science is like embedded in there, and it reveals any biases and gives like suggestions for different words. Um, and it was actually funny. We had a we had a client uh, when they started using this. They found on a job description they used the word strong twelve <laughs> times. Twelve times, oh, not three. God. Times like true story. So you know it was like right there, and so because it was part of the process, you know the recruiter didn't have to go to different places. They were like, oh, click, click. Let me just like change it. Done, dusted. But it was just so to me, like you know, I'm like, oh wait, how can I bring that to life? It's just right. greater adoption and use, like automation, just right it just there. It does it. It does. It just happens while yeah. you're while you're going through, and and you do that
1: several places, right? It's not just the job description. You that you know, debiasing words and, um, you know, accounting for that is happening throughout the talent acquisition lifecycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is- I think it's interesting too. It's, you know, thinking about where companies are at and everybody's at a different stage of maturity with automation, especially in talent acquisition. Um, you know, a lot of companies, I think, get overwhelmed too with, should we be doing all of this at the same time? Should we do, do all of this at once? Um, what's your recommendation as you kind of work with clients? Do they start at one stage in talent acquisition? Do they try to to kind of think about throughout all their processes how to work automation in at the same time? You know, is it start small or is it kind of tackle it all?
0: Yeah, it's it's that's it's a good question. You know, and part of it is like, you know, dependent on the type of company and the culture and whatnot. But I like to, you know, counsel people and say, okay, well think about first of all, where are your biggest pain points? Because you wanna like, for me it's like you can like tackle the biggest issues right away, that's like low-hanging fruit. And so it's like where where are people spending the most amount of time or money? And can we can we shrink that down? Um, and then I also think around like automation, there's two types in my mind, and I think both really have their their place, but there's the data driven automation and then there's templated automation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is like some of the automations that a number of our customers use. It it, it can be anything like entering candidate data, um, administering or evaluating assessments, posting jobs to job boards, you know, even selecting candidates, um, interviews. I I could talk all day about interviews, whether it's like interview scheduling or nurturing, but, um, you know, it's interesting. I did a poll. I can't remember all the days are blending. I don't know if it was two weeks ago. It might've been a month ago, but recently, of um ta uh, professionals they were on a webinar i was on and i asked them what's like the number one thing that they're using automation for and by far it was job postings um Mm -hmm. and i suspect the reason was is one it's relatively easy and you save a lot of money that way so the combination there was again efficiency and money Mm -hmm. um but I also think the big, like, other one to do is the scheduling of interviews, yeah. which has been a pain point since I was campus recruiter 20 years ago. Um, you know, it's –
1: It's so time-consuming. It we is, found, like, even in our research, it was like the average – on average, recruiters are spending 16 hours a week just on scheduling. Um, and given everything that's happening now and the stress and working remotely – that's just not
0: absolutely, and I think I I think in your same research it was like it was something like what was it? Um, it was like a major like fifty sixty percent of like large enterprise companies had hired just full time schedules. schedulers schedulers yep. to do that. Um, yep. And to me, I think it's so. To me, I sort of laugh at that because literally twenty years ago. I mean, I'm dating myself, um, and, but twenty years ago. My, you know, first job in, in recruiting, we hired interview schedulers. Twenty years, <laughs> so it's like there's a lot of opportunity here for improvement. So, you know, now people are starting to do that in organizations, which is great. But it's like, come on, let's solve this problem. Let's get rid of, you know, we, you don't need that. We can use our time more efficiently um, for things. To me, like, let's free up recruiters' time to focus on. You know, really high value and fun stuff. Like I don't hire, I never did. And even to the same, we don't hire recruiters for their administration skills, right? Like the admin skills, we hire them to be able to connect with candidates or connect with people in the business and really do that, you know, that, that job of connection. Like that's that's the great piece the, the strategy and connection is the you know you, you can't ever automate that I mean you can to an extent but you still need that personalized piece there
1: so yeah or otherwise they'll leave right? They're, right they're gonna they're gonna leave if they're not if they're not doing that
0: right so true so true
1: well this this is so great I mean I've already learned so much just talking to you and these examples are are amazing too um so a lot's changed, and we've talked about so much This changed just in the past few months, and companies are readjusting and reevaluating everything that they're doing. What have you had to, to do to shift how you work with clients at Oleo? How have you had to, to make some shifts?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a great question. Well, it was interesting, because within the first few weeks of the pandemic, we actually released new functionality. To all of our customers, just everyone got it. It wasn't like, "Hey, you have to pay for this." Everyone got it, and it was um, in response because it allowed our customers to convert all their interviews, the in-person interviews, to virtual interviews. We made it really easy and simple for our customers to start using it, and and that was you know, we, we knew we could do that really quickly. And we wanted to do that, um, to, to help everyone out. I mean, our customers are our partners, you know, and vice versa. Right. Um, and then we, you know, we provided the trainings to them right away and how they could use, you know, us, um, as well for, for those organizations that were, um, the, I hear the word; it's like redeploying, but basically moving people around to other roles within the organization. Um, and so, our technology helps to support that. So, we did a lot of that, where we're like, okay, you know, you, you can you can use the system in a different way um, to help internally move people around to areas that you know they they uh, there's there's more of a need. So, the, the combination to me, that I was really proud of how quickly you know the Olio team was able to pull that out while we were also ourselves moving from being in person to to remote. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, that was big, you know, our, our, our team, especially our London team who uh, we have a large base there of staff, like everyone went home, you know, a lot of our staff in the U S we already, were pretty virtual um, and just the way we're set up larger region. um, And just, you know, again, it's amazing what you can accomplish, you know, being really quick on the fly. So. yeah,
1: crazy times. <laughs> crazy times. Well, this is so great. Thank you so much, Jeanette, for joining me. I I know we have this research report available. It's actually interesting because we did the survey January and February and then just you know published the report right in the right in the beginning of the pandemic. And it actually is to me just as relevant, if not more relevant, today, given everything that's happening and everything we've been talking about than it was even in January and February. So Anyone that's interested in that report will definitely make that available. Jeanette, can you tell us how people that are listening can connect with you, learn more about
0: Oleo, learn more about your experiences in talent acquisition? Absolutely. Well, they can go to our Oleo website, and I'll spell it. It's O-L-E-E-O, so dot ocom Um, and so we have like lots of resources there as well and our blog and whatnot. Um, for me, I'm on all social media, so you can find me on Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, I'm now on TikTok, but I think I might be private still as I'm making lots of TikToks with my daughter. Um, but so, uh, you can find me, um, there as, as, as well. So, um, lots, lots of ways we have, you know, we're we're all online now. So. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Great. Well, I, I- I'm
1: gonna have to check out TikTok. I'm not on <laughs> I, I think I need to join.
0: <laughs> we <laughs> gotta do TikToks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And you can learn more about the research and we'll make that available. So I hope everyone is having a wonderful week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care.